Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Z, we're having a very interesting discussion in the background. We're talking about when to jump ship. So as we've been talking about, we go through life, and life starts out when you're a kid, and you're put in situations and cultures and norms that you don't really have a choice. You just kind of go along. You do what your parents tell you to do. So you go through a certain educational system. You go to a certain church, learn a particular religion, certain traditions, certain customs, certain ways of thinking about health. And we all go through this when we're young. But when we get older, we have a little more self-awareness and we've got some agency. And we can ask ourselves, are the things that we're doing and the things that we have been taught, are they serving our interests? And when is the point where we jump ship? When we hit that breaking point where we say, you know what? My parents, God bless them. They wanted to go down a certain path. But man, this is fucked up. Like, this is just whack. I don't want to be a part of it. I've been in church, and yeah, church was cool for a while, and they wanted me to eat the body of Christ, and I did that, but now they want me to recruit my neighbors, and now the, the priests are molesting boys, and now they're telling me that, that fetuses are people, and it's just gotten a little too crazy, so I've got to jump ship. Or we talked about being in a frat. Back in the day, you're in college, and you want to be part of this group. And it's like, okay, great. I can have a bunch of friends and go to cool parties and get connected to business opportunities. But then to be part of that frat, I have to go through an increasing number of humiliating endeavors. So first I have to drink until I pass out. Then I have to spend a week locked in a basement. Then I have to sexually molest animals. (laughs) And it just gets crazier and crazier. So at what point do we hit that threshold and say, you know what, we are going to opt out this ideology or this behavior has served us for a while. Maybe we got into it without even really realizing it. It snuck up on us. But we've gotten to a point where we say, we're done. And we're moving in a different direction. And this is important because we see this in so many parts of our society. There's so many, I would argue, activities or institutions that we're a part of that are very damaging for our health, for our physical health, for our emotional health. And at the very least, they're damaging if we play by the rules. You know, maybe at times we have to do certain things. Everyone needs the job. You, you have to go to work. Maybe you have to be part of that system. But for example, in corporations, a lot of companies talk about how there are these great career opportunities and how it's an entrepreneurial culture and how if you're motivated, you'll rise to the top. So for people who buy into that, it's like a lifetime of frustration because they go through this and for years and years, they put in their heart and soul and they get very little out of it. Whereas even if you had to do the job, if you recognized, okay, this is just what they're saying, but really I'm just there, I'm a piece of a much larger machine, I'm going to give them what my end of the bargain is and nothing more. Uh, So I'm going to go in, I'll do my job, but then I'll get satisfaction outside of work and I'm not going to kill myself for the company. Then you might be in a healthier place. Or do you think about narratives? I mean, something I'm hearing now, um, I turned 45, so mid-40s, and a lot of my friends are talking about age. And, oh, God, we're 45, and it's just harder and harder to do things, and we've got pain that we didn't used to have. And I read some articles, someone, this was in the New York Times, someone was saying, yeah, I'm 45 as well, and uh, I can't remember certain things when I get up in the morning, 
And I hear this and it just makes me angry because I don't want to be a part of it. It's like, oh, what the fuck? I'm not all that. I feel stronger every year. I feel vital. I feel, even if I'm not physically young, I, I feel alive and I feel more capable than I've ever been. But people just buy into this and then it changes how you think about yourself, which has a direct impact on your health. It has a direct impact on the quality of your life, the things that you do, the opportunities and the risks that you take. So that's another example. Uh, this healthcare system that we've talked about, we have a healthcare system in the U.S. which is run by private companies. So the incentives that they have is to keep people sick. Like let's not do any preventative medication. Uh, excuse me, any preventative medicine, but let's just treat the symptoms and get people hooked on a constant cocktail of drugs, which might have pretty bad side effects. But that means that they're paying customers for for a much longer period of time, and we tend to go along with that because that's what everyone else does. So we've got other friends who are on heart medication and cholesterol medication, and they talk about all their pills and all their ailments, and there's this whole social ritual to it. And people say, okay, great, I'm going to be a part of this because this is just what I know. This makes sense to me. But when do we step back and say, you know what, this is kind of crazy. I don't need to live this way. I don't need to spend my life on a bridge to nowhere. It's fine if I want to take some medicine and get through a temporary condition, but I don't want to live my life in a, a state of dysfunction where I need a crutch just to survive. Uh, so that's really the topic for today. One, Z, when do we hit that point? And maybe more importantly, you can share your perspective on how do we get to that point? Because a lot of what we're talking about, and this ties into the whole narrative of opting out, uh, which is really our, our whole philosophy at Dharma Media, to opt out, you have to know that there is another choice. And if I look at my life, it's taken me a long time to have clarity, to get to a point where I've got clarity about who I am, what I want. And part of that is that I never realized there was another option. You know, I was so indoctrinated to think a certain way. This is what life is. This is what's valuable. This is how I should measure myself. I didn't question those assumptions because I didn't even know they were assumptions. I thought it was reality. And so unless you've got another option that you can step into, there's no way to opt out because you're not even aware that there's anywhere else to go. So Z, just share some thoughts on that, maybe to start. How do we think about this concept of opting out? How do we get to a point where we're even aware uh, that what we're doing is causing us pain, it's causing us bad health, and maybe we should start looking uh, in some different directions? Well, Vin, we start by understanding the concept of jumping ship. We think about that as, 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 as the grander metaphor of uh, indoctrination. So imagine you grew up, you were born on a ship, you were born out in an, in an unknown ocean. And all your life you were told that you got to stay on the ship because there are so many unknown threats out there. There is so much, there's a wasteland. There's an infinite wasteland unknown or there's an infinite body of water with all sorts of lions and tigers and bears and sharks and, 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 and toxins and everything. So you need to stay on this ship. But as you stay on that ship over a period of time and you mature, you become a bit more self-aware and certain things on the ship just aren't working for you. And, but you have no concept of what's outside there because you've been told certain things. And maybe you go up on the bridge of the ship, you look uh, port, you look starboard, you look at the bow, you look aft, and you see, you know, there's, there's some interesting things out there. There are other ships out there. There are bodies, there, there's land over the horizon. There's also, I wonder what's going on there. 
but yet there's a part of you that that's all you know. You don't even have the intellectual bandwidth to imagine something other than that. So it has to get so bad that whatever else, whatever the unknown out there is better than where I'm at. And you know that when you get to that point. You talked about, I think Caitlin, we were talking about church. As, as a young child, I had my maternal grandmother was a religious fanatic. And she tormented me. She badgered me. She was one of these people that carried a Bible and wielded it like it was a mallet or hammer and would hit you with it and strike you and then quote some biblical scripture. She would force you to read the Bible, which drove me, of course, to Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism. She forced me to read the Bible and would punish me uh, physically, corporal punishment on a regular basis. And just a real, who knows what went on in her life. I have no idea because I developed such disdain for her in my life. I just, the first person I recall unashamedly wishing they were dead because of her cruelty while wielding a Bible. But I did learn the Bible back and forth, one of the versions of the Bible. And I began to question what I read and their behavior. And I would go to their gathering place that she was always at. And I would say, well, have these people even read the same book I read? Even as a child, I was like, wow, the level of disconnect, the level of hypocrisy. And so it shaped my view of religion to this day. Yet it also gave me the curiosity about other philosophies and religious practices as I met different people from different practices and different denominations who were really saintly people who had underlying philosophies that created their, their ethical boundaries in their own life and they were admirable people. But they weren't those people who wielded their books and forced you onto their ship and told you about the hell that was awaiting you if you ever jumped ship and compared to the hell you were existing in there. So that was one of those experiences in life. And then as I moved through life, I carried that experience and it gave me kind of a, a magnifying glass into human behavior and philosophies and what allows us to be self-realized and what prevents us from the path of self-realization. And you think about the dogmatic behavior people have over religion, politics, lifestyles, uh, worldviews, narratives, and they are those people who were born on a ship and they can't see anything else. Think about the innumerable failed narratives that are out there or ones that are popping up. For example, we live in a time now where I've been noticing more and more and more and more conversations, casual conversations, heavier conversations, that we live in a time where people have, on this ship of fools, has decided that if you don't like the way something sounds, you can negate it. So if you don't like science, if you don't like math, let's say you don't like addition, and the person adding up two and two or three and three, and they come up with the answer, and you don't like their voice, or that maybe they didn't advocate what you believe in, you can just say, it's not valid. It's not that it's not true. It just doesn't exist for me. What are you smiling about, Caitlin? That's literally the 1984 
book by George Orwell. Yeah, it's very Orwellian. Yeah. So we live in that time. The, Orwell knew, I guess he wrote that book, what, in the 1940s or something, and 1984. And he wrote it quite some time before 1984. And it's actually coming to the truth. So 1984 is about the ship you're on. It's about a time when something as simple as adding it up. A dozen eggs isn't a dozen eggs if I don't like who told me it was a dozen eggs. So we can't move forward. So even when you talk about, I think recently one of the big billionaire people bought Twitter and they were saying how much they were for free speech until people started talking about them. And then they shut off their channels because they didn't want that kind of free speech. They didn't want to be mocked. So, it's also not that free that he wants to charge a subscription. It's a right thing. You pay for free speech. <laughs> so, but because you're on a ship and you maybe advocate uh, his success and you, by proxy or by closeness or by branding, right, you want to be part of what you perceive to be is that ship of wealth, you simply disregard the hypocrisy and the lunacy of what he's even saying. And we get enough of that, and then we're all on a ship of fools. So for those of us who are opting out, it's always strategy. Life is always strategy. How do I, how do I jump ship? Like, we should all be planning to steal away our own life preserver and our own supplies, our own anti-shark venom or whatever we need, and get the hell off that ship. And there are so many omens in our day, as we talked about the healthcare system. I just got w working with someone who was um, over-medicated. And as I was walking them through everything and being very careful, because again, never tell people what to do with their health, never uh, override their doctors. What you can do skillfully is simply trigger their mind to think for themselves. So that's my disclaimer. I won't make any decisions for anyone. I won't share an opinion. I will do what I can to, okay, we can't say the word trigger. I will do what I can to elicit free, independent thinking. Okay? And you can do that by getting knowledge, study, research, uh, question, critique, and then come up with a workable answer and that answer may not be what you like. That's another part. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to uh, chime in here because I, when I went to New York, I did a panel on becoming an expert patient for cancer survivors or pe people going through cancer. Um, and we did some polling before we asked some of the questions or gave our information and uh, a lot of people were uncomfortable talking to their primary care uh, providers and their oncologists because uh, they felt they were brushed off before. And so they felt like they weren't ever able to be heard or anything like that. I know this is uh, all going to the same place about being, you know, free thinking. Um, but it just seems that people get... Uh, I mean, obviously, when you're going through that, you're already overwhelmed. Like, I just want to mm -hmm. say you're already like right. you're in a place where you're not really making the you don't know what kind of decisions to make. Um, and 
yeah, it's just, it's really unfortunate. And I think that it takes people uh, hearing and seeing it in order to encourage them or, or knowing that it is okay to question your doctors. And it is okay to find, like, you know, the amount of people that said that they didn't get second opinions or anything, like, was kind of alarming to me, too. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope that, it, like, people can learn to embrace, like, have their, stand in their power, I guess, when they're going through that. Well, Caitlin, I would say in my own words, just um, kind of paraphrasing or reiterating what you're saying, is that in order to query, question, that's a sign of intelligence. And if you can't ask questions or you can't look for a second opinion, you're not that smart. So if you want to smarten up, you have to open yourself up to say, I don't know, and I need to research. And every time you say, I don't know, let me try it, let me look for it, you become more enlightened. You don't have to start out as some sort of whiz kid. But it is part of the idea of developing and growing the various layers of your consciousness to say that somebody's going to do something invasive to my body. I want to ask questions. I want to understand. The truth of it is, it's not evil, is they don't care that much because it's based on simply quantity. If, you're my, if, if, I've, if I have 100,000 patients and your patient uh, uh, 80,044, I can only give you a hundred thousandths of my caring. Okay? I can only care for you one hundred thousandths of my capacity to care. I ran out of caring a long time ago. And now I have bills to pay. I'm running a fancy clinic. I have to do different things. I maybe have a drug addiction and I'm trying to hide that. Uh, I got to pay insurance from the last lawsuit I got. I don't care about you anymore. But I'm going to follow the minimal procedural requirement to keep this machine going. For those of us who are on the receiving end of that, that kind of mal-care, it's really up to you to talk and learn. I've gone to clinicians and it was just shocking. The lack of knowledge, the lack of concern, the commonality of callousness, right? But I educate myself, and that's what I try to do with other people. I'm very, as you've seen, I'm very enthusiastic when I do that, because it does something for, for my ego matrix to see people do well, right? To have maybe a role or hidden hand in people benefiting from whatever I've shared with them. So everybody has a different talent or ego matrix or whatever. But I've learned over the years to be very careful in the direction or guidance that I offer people so as not to make them dependent or subservient to me in any way. Rarely do any type of clinicians do that. And that's why when they do make mistakes, they go out of their way to mask their mistakes. You see what I'm saying? Because that, that part of the deal no longer exists. And for those of us who are really trying to jump ship, these are more reasons to prepare yourself to jump ship. Fortify your own health and well-being. 
Everyone should have a book on their cabinet known as the PDR, the Physician's Desk Reference. Everybody should have one and read. And then you go and then you look up comparable uh, holistic uh, remedies to whatever the uh, allopathic medicine is. And you'll find them all the time. There are great medicines that are out there if you're in a crisis or an emergency, but it ends there. It ends there. You want to go from crisis emergency to a normal life. You want to go from crisis emergency to addicted and medicated, right, to another crisis. But you have to do that on your own. That's not the, that's not the religion here. That's not the church we're in. It applies to so many areas of our life. It applies to politics. There are many political scientists. I'm not talking about pundits or uh, any of these people. I'm not talking about people who are promoting party lines, but people who simply study society and politics from an anthropological point of view, a social comparative. They're neither patriots or anti-patriots. They're just study. They study society. And they have said that this form of so-called democracy, that idea of this Western exceptionalism and that there's this really higher order. They said this is a myth, for one. And they're not saying it in a mean way, even though it, people will say, that sounds mean because I want my country to be the greatest country in the world, everybody else to be worse than me, simply because I'm here and I wear a t-shirt or hat. And they're saying that this is probably going to make it another 10 years before it collapses and looks nothing like whatever the idea was eventually, right? So, so when they say that, why don't we listen? And then you can see around, if you raise your head above the ship, you look over the railing into the great world, and then you reflect back upon the, the, the orgy of the insane going on in the shipyard. You see the people involved in it. Then you lift your head and you acknowledge that you were sold to build a good, so you see yourself as red or blue or whatever it is. And you start to look at the characters who are involved in the orgy of the insane. You look at the guy that was running for office somewhere who was arrested for cranking. This has really bothered me uh, because I think I know a lot, so it really messed with my ego. I thought I knew a lot about all manner of human things, especially sex stuff. I thought to consider myself an expert on certain areas of sex. And I heard about this guy who was a real moralist, as they say. He was for his religion and the Bible and guns and, you know, the usual talking points that excite people, uh, blocking the borders, American exceptionalism, da, da 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 He was going on and on and on. So he gets arrested for cranking. Well, what is cranking? Well, apparently it's a fetish that I had never heard of which involves you um, disabling a car engine, like pulling a spark plug off or breaking apart or whatever, so the car makes clunky noises. And he would hotwire the car, start them up, break in them, and that gave him sexual release. Now, is this guy fit to be a statesman for you or a leader? Well, let's analyze it. Maybe he is. Maybe he's really good at politics. But why did he hide this feature of his behavior? 
Um, so that means that he is, uh, he's dishonest. That means that he is a liar. Uh, I'd like to know what happened to him in life. What did he go through in life where not only would he break into cars, damage other people's property, but find that disabling a car engine gave him erotic release. And upon that, then he would go and speak for you on the world stage. That's who's on your ship. Yeah. Yeah, I do follow you. Uh, it is uh, this world that we live in. And as you're saying, these ideas just become reality. Uh, you look at the political system. You were asking me earlier, does this guy really sound fit to be a leader? And my response was yes. He fits right in <laughs> with all of the other whack jobs who are part of Congress, because anyone who's fit to govern isn't going to want to put up with all the madness. So that's the point that we've reached. But people accept that as normal. Uh, then we talked about healthcare already. We've talked about religion. We've talked about all of these things that become normal just because everyone else goes along with it. And I'm thinking about this. To me, it's interesting because it, there is a value of herd behavior. You think about that biologically, it's shorthand. It's a signal for something being out of whack. So if you're watching a stampede and everyone's running away from something, you don't necessarily have time to figure out what the threat is. If there's a fire or there's some animal chasing after you, maybe you just start running and you figure it out later on. Because by the time it takes you to assess the threat and figure out what to do, you're already dead or you're in mortal danger. So you just act. So that, to me, makes some sense why that instinct would be there. I think the issue that we've gotten into is that we've lost that visceral connection. If you look at a lot of what drives human behavior, it's no longer based on what's happening in the real world. It's based on ideas, ideologies. This is the way that we should be. This is better. This is worse. But these ideas have no tether to reality. Uh, and they can go on for for generations before collapsing, you can have an idea that's unsustainable, that creates horrific amounts of human suffering. You look at, for example, U.S. foreign policy and the impact that we've had on countries from Central America to Iraq, Afghanistan. That's gone on for a long period of time. That's cost millions of lives, but it still continues. So there's, no, there's not necessarily the same check on that as you would see uh, in, in the animal world. So I think that makes things a little bit more complicated, and that's where we need the intelligence to start saying, we're going to check that herd mentality and that herd behavior, and we're not going to do things just because everyone else does those things. And I understand that it's tough uh, because it's hard to stand up against the crowd. A lot of times we don't, we don't want to spend all our lives investigating everything. So that's why it makes sense at times to follow convention or do what other people are doing. Or we talked about when you're a kid, you go along and you do what your parents tell you to do. You don't have a choice. But at some point, I think we need to recognize that ideas are just ideas. And maybe they've got some loose connection to reality uh, or to what's happening in the physical world. But there can be a big gap. I look at the stock market, for instance. The stock market goes all over the place. And people talk about how there's all this theory about the stock market and what drives stock prices. And all the academics historically have said, well, stock prices are basically an assessment of how much money the company is going to make in the future. So the more money they make, the higher the price and vice versa. 
But that explains very little. I mean, there's some loose connection. Uh, but in between now and 10 years or 20 years from now, prices could go up by 1,000%. They could collapse by 90%. They could settle somewhere in between. And all of that is based on ideas. It's not based on reality. It's not even based on a rational assessment of the future. It's based on herd behavior. It's based on dreams. It's based on greed. And I think if we extend that idea, maybe use the stock market as an analogy, we can apply the same thinking uh, to the institutions that we're a part of, uh, to the political ideologies, the religious ideologies that we follow. Not that they're necessarily bad, but it's almost like they're arbitrary. They don't have to be good. They don't have to be bad. They could be anything because they're not based on anything. There's no check on them. And therefore, it's up to us. That's where Z, the due diligence that you're talking about, comes into play. Because we have to take a look at the religion, whatever that religion is. If it's a religion of economics, or it's a religion of healthcare, or it's an actual religion. And we have to say, does this work for me? Just because everyone else is doing it, just because they all think a certain way, doesn't mean that it's right doesn't mean that it's going to serve my purposes. And I wouldn't say it's wrong either. I mean, it serves some purpose. There is a reason that this stuff exists, but it might not be serving our purpose. It might not be serving our health. And that's where we have to be able to step back uh, and make our own decisions. And in my life, it's been hard. I mean, I look at you. You've had such a big impact on the way that I think about myself and the way that I think about life. But if I think about what you say, a lot of what you say, the things that we discuss... If you talk to people about that, I would say nine pe people out of 10 would look at you and say, you're out of your goddamn mind. Even though if you get into it, most of what you say makes sense. I mean, there are some things that we disagree about, but we agree on uh, much more than we disagree about, even though it sounds crazy. And that whole reaction, just dismissing something because it sounds crazy, because it's unfamiliar, that's what we need to start checking. And we have to start cultivating the intelligence and maybe the discipline as well uh, to step away from the crowd, get to that state that we keep on talking about. Let's be that dispassionate observer. Let's be able to look at maybe the bigger patterns. Why do people think a certain way? Why is everyone going in this direction? Uh, and that's something that I've started to do a lot more uh, because it, it can get scary at times. I, I don't know if you feel this way. I mean, maybe you've never uh, felt this, but uh, for me in the past, you step out against the grain and it's like, okay, what if I'm wrong? What if there are good reasons why people are following this particular doctrine or lifestyle? What if I'm messing up? What if I'm getting in, going in the wrong direction? What if I'm going to look like an idiot? Uh, but I think if we put that aside, I mean, again, that's all the ego talking. Uh, that's all this sense of needing to be right and needing to feel uh, comfortable and needing other people to validate us. If we can put that aside, it can really open up an entirely different way of looking at the world. And my thinking has changed tremendously. I mean, the way that I think about the economy, for example, has changed quite a bit. Uh, even beyond that, even beyond the way that I think, now I've got an appreciation for why other people think the way that they do. I can almost see the different schools of thought and understand, okay, if someone is arguing a certain point of view, I know what their biases are. I know how they've been trained. I know how they see the world. And so maybe they're saying some things that are valid, but I can correct for the religion that they're bringing to the table and take parts of what they're saying that I think makes sense and maybe dismiss the rest. So it becomes, I think, a much more effective way. I mean, we're almost able to elevate ourselves from the fray and get get that big picture, you know, get that 50,000 foot view of what's going on in the world. And then we can be a lot more efficient. We can pick and choose things that work for us instead of just being, because I think the alternative Z, it's almost like we're just this this ball 
they're floating in the ocean, you know, like a ping pong ball. And we're getting swept in one direction and then another direction. And a wave comes and it says, oh, we should think this way and do these things. And we go in that direction. And then the next year it's like, oh, don't do that. Do something else. And we're always bouncing around. We don't have conviction in ourselves. We don't have agency. So we want to step away from that. We want to step away and see that big picture. Uh, so th those are some of my thoughts. I mean, I, I don't know if that resonates or sparks anything on your end. Then it does. And there's so many things where I wanted to almost in a, jump in and interrupt you because I like the idea that sometimes you don't know. The first thing you have to do is know yourself. How do you know yourself if you're born on a ship? Well, first, the realization that you as an individual um, have thoughts, feelings, ideas, and dreams, or that portal to that is open. And then you start to seek that understanding. It's like getting out of a cult. I know people who were raised in cults, and they, they said that something always kind of irritated them about it, something they wondered about. So within the cult, you're like on that ship, and they blackened the windows of the ship, and they painted a whole another scenario of the outside world. All your needs are met. But what are your needs? What do you feel on a very human level? So first, getting to know yourself. And I think most of the people that we interact with are, are on the opt-out side of things where they're thinking for themselves. Remember, the opt-out is a person who thinks for yourself. How do you know you, you think for yourselves? It's because you're not, you're not advocating any one ideology or view based on parroting it because you heard it from somebody. You've explored it. You're not running around with the, the latest bumper sticker on your car. You know, whatever the newest, the, the trend is, you don't have the whoever's, whatever's bumper stickers on. You're not trying to provoke people or, or repel or attract people into your clique. You're just okay with you. And the people that are around you are okay with you being you. And so... You're not being tested. You, 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 you've understood that feeling of maybe not fitting in, and you've embraced it 100%. You know what? I don't fit in here, and it's inspired me to go somewhere else, to be around people that I fit in with. That's what most of this crazy Dharma community is about. There's a lot of people that don't fit in other places, or they, they feel more at home here. I get this all the time. I had a student that came in, Anthony came and visited me, and he fits right in. He had, he'd been gone for a few years. He went away, and he came to visit. It was like he was here yesterday. Anthony was here today. It was just great. It was like, oh, you don't know this? You didn't know that? Things. I, I figured he would know it because he's part of this. He, he fits in. And all these people fit in because wherever they were, they didn't fit in. So they found a home amongst like-minded people, and they realized that I get to know myself. And in knowing myself, I can separate myself from the constraints and the walls of this ship that I'm on, this arc of, of ignorance. And that's, that's the beginning part of it. Then you get out there and you kind of take, again, you said the, the, the 50,000 foot view of, of the world. And you can start to call things as they are. You don't feel constrained because the madness is on your ship. So I can't talk about the madness on my ship. I can only talk about the madness on the other ship. Um, when I talk to people about narrative, all the time, failed narratives that we've adapted to, and we just take that as the gospel, literally as gospel, like being in, in a church of crazy people. And you, we talk about things like aging, and 
there are ways that people can age and, and age gracefully and be really healthy and well. And for some people, that's a foreign idea until they experience it. On a regular basis, I have clients that come here that are uh, of, of certain ages, and they'll see other people of either older than them or around their age that are vibrant and healthy. And they say, what the hell's going on here? I've never seen this. Well, you were never on this ship. You were on another ship, and everybody you saw had a, a pretty uh, clear expiration date that all these people have surpassed, and they're vibrant, and they're happy, and they're growing. And so we want to know ourselves so we know when to jump ship. If you don't know yourself, you go down with the ship. You're the people playing instruments on the Titanic. You're not trying to get off of there. Um, I would love for all of us opt-outs, as we share this idea with people, is don't promote, don't proselytize, don't push anything on anybody. Just be a good example of an individual that, you know what, I'm thinking for myself. You're a great example, Vin. You, you do what you do. You also do your art. You're true to yourself in that way. And that's the beginning of that process of self-realization so you know when to get off this this boat, or you know when to leave the church. It's like we said earlier, people are locked into religious ideas to the point where we hear a lot of that in, 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 the, in the common social media, where certain religions can't be critiqued. I want anything I do to be critiqued. Critique makes you grow. Critique allows you to be accountable, if not to others, to yourself. If you critique an athlete, that athlete gets better and better. Ask any great athlete and they will tell you horror stories about their coaches and training. Ask any great martial artist, and you will hear horror stories that are part of their honor. It becomes honorable. I went through that. Ask any uh, military man that did uh, noble acts. How did you get there? Well, I, I went through it. I was critiqued. I was chewed up, spit out, and, made, and it made me better. Ask a biologist or botanist about plants and animals that have thrived. They went through it. They went through a lot of stuff and they overcame it. They go, now we talk in a way that we're always seeking comfort. I'm, uh, we have trigger warnings on, on television. Uh, you go on in as, oh, this may be a disturbing picture. It's a disturbing picture. I want to see it. You don't have to tell me. Just show it to me. Shock me. I want to be shocked. Let me see. Let me see whatever it is. I don't, I, okay, we need time for you to leave the room. I was watching a, a, a documentary or something the other day, and they says, well, this is a point we're going to show you some things that may be disturbing, and we need everybody to leave the room who may be upset. And it was like a, a praying mantis eating another bug. I'm like, what? This is, so what happens when you really encounter something in life? that isn't filtered, you can't take it, so your mind snaps, you don't have the strength of brain or recovery, you just fall apart. So we see a lot of very fragile people, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, very fragile. And it's hard to build a strong society with fragile people. And you have these coalitions of people on these, these kind of ships of the damned that are looking for companies, like, don't no, jump ship, get off that ship. Take what you can, go overboard, and swim to the nearest island or figure out how to survive. And that's really that idea that to reach self-realization, we're on this path, you have to think for yourself. You must be able to look at things that are uncomfortable and face them. Stand with it. Have uncomfortable conversations with people. A lot of the 
social animus that we have, different sides versus this side, different political parties, different races, is because people have lost the ability to sit with their discomfort elegantly. To listen to, as you said, Vin, how did a person come to their point of view? If you could, t if you could endure and sit and understand, okay, I get why you think the way you do. And if that person could do the same to you, there would be an understanding reached. I remember being in the military with a lot of uh, like neo-Nazis and Ku Klux Klansmen, things like that. There, there are a lot of them in the military and always has been and still is. And I understood they, had, they didn't go far from their neighborhoods or places where they were raised. And a lot of the people they had met, in, in, in their, they had a narrative of black and white, superior, inferior, and that's all they ever heard. And so often when you meet people, you can do etiology on their background simply by certain, what do you call, certain brands that they promote. Hey, I'm Joe the Christian, and, and what kind of Christian? Well, fundamentalist Southern Christian. Okay, I, I know he's not a fond, fond, fond of people like me. And then, but you, you're not taking it so personal. Is, does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? You get to know people. Oh, that's how you arrived at this viewpoint, because this is where you grew up. This is the ship you were on all your life. This is what they told you. Here are the programming points. Here are the, here are the uh, policies, the amendments, and the constitution of your ship. And by knowing that, then I can understand how to navigate my interaction with that person without getting upset and, and feeling like we have to go to war with that person. Um, of course, you're on guard and you're aware that because of how they were um, indoctrinated, that they will approach and see things a certain way. And, and when you learn to do that, this is what I found. I'm able to get along with a lot of people. You guys have seen that. I'm able to interact and with a lot of people. And what have I learned? It's by observing and listening what they're saying, you kind of know where they got their information. I can tell within a few minutes of talking to somebody almost nowadays what radio stations they listen to. Right? Their political views. You can tell almost right away, okay, I know who listens to this kind of news, liberal news or, or conservative news, because they'll know certain things and they won't know other things. Right? They'll hear, they'll say things, crime is really up, crime is just rampant everywhere. And see, I know what they're listening to. The other people say, oh, everybody should be let out of jail. And the, the, the justice, is, well, I, know, I know what they've been listening to. Not even what they've been experiencing, but what they've been listening to. Because now, what you listen to becomes your experience. What you heard, people now interpret that as their actual life experience. That's the power of social media and the internet. You could convince people on social media to attack the capital, right? You could convince people on show, social media to do what's this thing called flash mobs, right? You can convince people on social media to eat um, dishwasher pods or something they were eating, uh, detergent pods, right? Kids were dying from eating detergent. They had this so called challenges. So there's this powerful disembodied voice. It's like the ship's intercom, this is the captain, or like in The Wizard of Oz. People hear that, they're on that ship, they don't think outside of that, and that's it. So for us opt-outs, then we want to first have, a, have the realization that we're, we're all on a ship. And when is it time to jump ship? When it no longer serves your growth and your pursuit of self-realization.
be it your religion. Look, everybody was indoctrinated into a religion. Religions are mythologies. No different than Dr. Seuss. No different than Alice in Wonderland. Be it Islam, Judaism, Christianity, the things I'm into, they're philosophies with a lot of mythology so that common people can develop metaphors of higher consciousness. If you believe it to be something else, you need to get off that ship. It's that simple. Religion is, means habit. And for opt-outs, they're not bothered. Some religious person will hear this, and if I cared about comments, they would probably comment and, and say horrible things, just like somebody got angry because I, I talked about Eskimo pies. And that's okay, because I don't care about disembodied people commenting. There's a Zen saying, if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a noise? Yeah, if you're there, it makes a noise. So do, 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 does the internet affect you? Yeah, if you check it out. If you don't like something, don't look at it, don't read it, go to something else. If it's making you upset, most of it isn't real. So when that tree falls in the woods and you're far away, it won't bother you. That's why you talk to people, they'll highlight certain things they read, you know what news station they're reading because they missed out on whole other stories, right? They'll miss out on whole other stories because they're, they're following one stream of, of understanding that fits the narrative and the dogma of their ship. Huh, Vin? Well, it's interesting, Z, that you said uh, we stay on the ship until it no longer serves us. It doesn't serve our consciousness. It doesn't advance us. Because I think the alternative, and we talked about this earlier on, is people get off when they experience sufficient pain. And that's what I see more often, that you go in a certain direction and you just do the same thing over and over until you reach a breaking point and then you're like, fuck this, I got to get out. You mentioned, who is that? I'm forgetting the name of uh, that, that Buddhist woman who hit her husband with a frying pan. Right, right, Prima Chodra. Yeah, yeah, Pema, Pema Chodron. Uh, so she was doing the same thing and she was in this life and she got to a point where she couldn't take it anymore. And then finally she becomes this, this famous Buddhist. Uh, I look at my own life. I made some changes about 10 years ago and I did what we've been talking about. I, I got to a point where I said, there's got to be a better way to live. And I still remember at that point, this was in 2013, that I was literally doing Google searches, Z, on life science or approaches to live. I mean, just to see what people had come up with. And as I started getting into it, I read a lot of books at that time. It brought me back to Eastern philosophy, because whether it was Eastern philosophy that resonated me with me, or there were other books that I found that I liked, they all talked about common themes. And those themes seem to be most comprehensively discussed in Eastern philosophy. So, and which is also something that I'd known for a long time, but I never put it into practice. So it was also familiar for me. And so I moved in that direction, but it took a lot of pain. I mean, at that point in my life, I'd set up a business. I'd gotten into it because I wanted to prove something to myself. I'd failed miserably. I'd gotten to a point of basic insanity. I was uh, trading money. I'd set up a hedge fund and I was spending all my time looking at the market and just watching, watching, watching in the state of constant anxiety without doing anything. And I look back, I was like, what the hell was I doing? I'm, I'm better than this. I've got to live better than this. I've got to operate better than I've been operating. And it was right around the time that my first daughter was born. And for her also. I mean, I was looking at myself. I was looking at 
some of my own insecurities. I was thinking about how I wanted to raise her and how I wanted to teach her that she's she's limitless. She can do anything she wants. She's just the way that I looked at her. She was this beautiful infant, just perfect, pristine that she could take that light and she could shine it in whatever direction she wanted to. And she could light this world on fire if she wanted to. But if I didn't believe that about myself, how could I pass that on? You know, if I felt like I was limited in some way, uh, if there were certain things that I was ashamed about, insecure about, I couldn't teach her to be something that I wasn't. And that honestly, see, I mean, that caused me so much pain, the thought that my daughter would go through some of the same insecurities and that I would even project my own insecurities onto her. That caused me so much pain. I was like, I can't do this. I mean, I've got to figure out something different. And that's when I started this process of, of searching and yoga and meditation. And it led me to you. Uh, and my life has gone in, in a very different direction, which is also an interesting story because on the surface, it doesn't look that different. But beneath the surface, it's completely different. I've changed my habits. I've changed my priorities. I've got some alter ego, <laughs> which is the exact opposite of what I am in, in day-to-day corporate America. Uh, so it's been this really interesting journey, but it took a lot of pain to get there. And what I like about what you said, if we've got sufficient awareness, I mean, if we bring that mindset every day that I'm not attached to anything, to me, that's the key because we get into pain and we get on the wrong path when whatever we're following becomes part of our identity. I'm an American, so I have to believe in American exceptionalism because that gives me a sense of self-worth. And so I'm going to beat down anyone who says anything to the contrary. Or I'm a Democrat, I'm going to beat down Republicans. Or a Republican, I'm going to beat down Democrats. Or I'm a Christian and I hate Muslims. Whatever it is, when we attach to these ideas and we turn that into an identity, it's a false identity. It's just an idea. It's just something that we happen to latch onto at a particular point in time. That idea may change. We may change. It's a temporal configuration of mind matter, but we treat it as something so substantial and we hold on to it and we're willing to fight and we're willing to die for it, for these ideas that are just ephemeral, that don't have any independent reality except the reality that we provide them. So to me, that's probably the most important thing. If we can have that fluid mindset that we've been talking about where I'm going to look at things objectively. I'm going to see whether they line up with what I need, whether they advance me and serve my purpose. But I'm always on the lookout for limitations. All these things are provisional. I'm always on the lookout uh, for things and approaches and strategies in life that might serve me better. If we have that mindset, that's a way where we can move a lot more efficiently through life. And hopefully we don't have to get to that point of pain. Because of course you can change if you hit rock bottom. But you can also go through wasted years. You can go through a wasted life. You can kill yourself. You can do too much drugs and alcohol. And you could throw away this beautiful opportunity that we've been given. So perhaps that's the antidote. I mean, that was one thing I was going to raise at the beginning. I'm glad we've gotten to it at the end. But how do we start moving and jumping ship without getting to that point of hitting rock bottom? And I really think it's having that fluid mindset that you brought up. And also having the courage, and you know, as we wrap up, our message is always inevitably we want to we want to mitigate suffering, and sometimes we, more times than not, we invite suffering into our life 
by bringing in toxins into our psyche, into our thought, into our heart. It undermines the integrity of a human being. When you watch some of the kind of the things on the ships of fools, the common ships that people are on, and if you really stand by and say, you know, this isn't right. It's, it's, it's not right for the harmony of me, for the inner me and the external me. It's not right. It's not right for the planet. It's not right for society. The inability to call things as they are, not as you want them to be. Because if it's as you want them to be, it's probably not as it is. I think about a lot of the messages that the, they, they, they talk on one hand about free speech, but if you have a discussion that people are uncomfortable with, people can lose their careers or their, if their career is based on that. And I would say for opt-outs, don't have a career that's tethered to or is able to be controlled by outside forces, right? Do something in your life that is, is skillful and people need you to do. So no matter what, if it comes a time that you have to live in your reality and your truth, you won't be banned or censored or, or made broke for it. I was thinking about a funny story real quick, Ben, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. As you know, I like to build hot rods, and I had to buy a part from a really grumpy guy in Australia. And you call him on the phone, and he's the only person in the world that makes this particular part for a particular motorcycle I was building. And the guy was just grumpy. And so I Google searched him and said, what is with this guy? I mean, he's just not friendly. But the part is one of the best parts in the world. And he lives in an outback place somewhere in Australia in some rural area. And he has a machine shop. And he just enjoys building these things. And he, doesn't, and he thought, hey, I can make a living by selling these. But he never got the memo about customer service. So you have to decide, do you want the best part in the world or do you want him to entertain you? So if you want to be entertained, there's another company that makes it and they entertain you, but it's not as good as his. So I just accepted. I thought it was great. I have one of his parts. It works great, but you can't call him up if you want a fun conversation with him. He's not interested in you because he's a free person. You think about these people that discuss various views of the world. And they get banned or crushed or they're attacked for being everything from racist to anti-Semitic and all that. And did anybody ever say, well, what, is what they're saying true? Does it add up? And if it adds up, does it matter that they said Or maybe it's an opportunity to work on a problem we have. And if you don't work on a problem, you can't improve. So in this kind of condition, there's no room for improvement as a society. If you can't, in a healthy way, uh, have cont uh, contrary views and find a, a medium uh, happy path, a way through the middle, you can't build a society. Thus America is showing as it is declining rapidly every day. The more polarized it becomes, the more one side cheers for its side and cheers for the failure of the other, the whole country falls apart. So now it's a thieves bazaar. Right? And we see that what's happening with that. So for us, let's get off the ship of fools. Let's jump ship, find a new church to go to because it's gotten too weird. All right? All right. Yeah, sounds good. Jump in those waters. It's not too cold. Not too many sharks. So we can get to the other side. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more 
at dharmamedia.com. Peace. <laughs>